No one laughed there, dang it. <laughs> Just letting you know, my jokes aren't actually that funny. I, the only, oh, thank you. <laughs> Love you, man. Appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, I always want to, first off, thank Pastor Paul. Um, we have, in my opinion, the best pastor in Cave Coral. I might be a bit biased, uh, but don't at me. Uh, and look, he's just honestly a legend. I really thank you for giving me the opportunity. I always do appreciate it. Uh, but before we get started today, look, I'm a youth pastor, like he just mentioned. We got to thank the youth for a second. And you might be like, what do they do? Do they burn down the building? No. No, okay. They did something kind of nice. Um, how many of you have ever heard of Lifeline Family Ministries? Okay, so if you haven't heard, Lifeline Family Ministries is a local pregnancy center. And instead of just taking a a girl that's pregnant, laying them in, having them give birth, and then just throwing them back on the street, they take them in, they give them a place to stay, they give them money, a job, they give them great doctors to help them through the pregnancy and afterwards. And then when they are done, they give them a car and a house and let let them live their life. Like, it's an incredibly amazing job uh, run by some amazing people. And last year I told them, you know what, let's just raise $500. No big deal. So they raised 820 uh, because they like to one-up me and make me feel bad. So I said this year, and I put my money where my mouth is, I said, you know what, look, if you guys raise at least $3,000, I'll wax my armpits. <sighs> but if you raise $5,000 or more, I'll shave my head. As you can tell, I have lost that battle. Uh, listen to this. They raised $10,553. $10,553. That's our youth. You may have heard in the news that, man, we have a lot to fear and worry about because the generation coming after us is just not that good. That's not true. All I see is hope from this generation. They are absolutely incredible. They're the best students I've ever seen before in my life. And we are excited to see what they're going to do next. So I just really want to shout them out because I get to go up here like once or twice every year or so. So I, I got to use my time while I can. So let's, let's pray and we'll get started and have some fun today. Dear Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to be up here. And Lord, I just pray that you, uh, you use us, that you speak to us, and that this message doesn't just stay here, but it goes out of here, that we live this out. Amen. So I don't know if you heard the news, but turns out I'm pregnant. I know, I know, did a lot of work there. Uh, no, it, actually, that's not true at all. Uh, my wife is actually pregnant with twins. And just letting you know, wasn't me, don't know what I did. So it's all in her family. I, didn't, I don't have any of that in my family. But anyways, uh, so I'm going to be a dad in like six months or so. I think it's six months. It's something like that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be a dad soon. And one thing I really want to work on is not getting the dad bod. Well, that already happened. So now it's just working on getting rid of the dad bod. Okay. Now, look, I, I'm trying to get healthier lately. I've been working out more. And one thing that I did like two months ago was I did my first mud run. And for those of you that have never done a mud run, just do it. It's amazing. I know it sounds kind of weird, but trust me, trust the skinny white guy on the stage. It's worth it. However, there's one thing that I will never do for more than like five seconds, and that's bicycling. Now, you might be wondering, why are you not doing bicycling? Let me tell you, because it's torture. Uh, and I, don't, I, I, I didn't say that, okay? There are some scientists that say that uh, world-class cycling is one of the most painful sports you can do. I don't want to do things that are painful, so therefore I will not do world-class cycling. And I know why, too, okay? I figured this out. I, I figured this out, okay? It's the seat. 
the seat is the worst part. The seat was made by someone that really hates life. Okay? And here's why. Because you're, when you bicycle, you're not biking fast because you're trying to go fast. You're just trying not to sit down. Because it hurts. It's like, it, it just hurts a lot. So I will never do it. However, I can respect people that are really good at it, like anyone. I can respect good football players. I can respect good uh, cyclists like Lance Armstrong. He was amazing. And one of the sport's biggest events is the Tour of France. However, the one that I'm actually more interested in is the World Cyclocross Championships. Now, you may have never heard of it. Here's what it is. It's a five-mile course that you take place in one day. And it is the worst thing ever. You go over cement, gravel, mud, uphills, downhills, in valleys, up valleys. And it's a five-mile five course. And it's basically a sprint. And so in normal cycling, there's some strategy involved. There's some play. You have to work with your team. And this one, no. It is pure physical strength and endurance. Therefore, I will never do it ever again. <laughs> Not doing it at all. But I can enjoy it. And one year, in 2016, it's the World Cyclocross Championships. I didn't know there was a thing until recently. So it's a thing. Uh, in the World Cyclocross Championships, there's a ma- there was a man from the Czech Republic named Adam Tupalik. And this guy was incredible. He starts off the race. He's a world-class biker, okay? Dude's in great physical condition. He starts off the race. He's doing pretty well. And he's, he's doing great, and it's near the end, and it's the final lap. And how about I, I just show you? Here, play that video. Click is sprinting flat out now to try and keep these Belgians at bay. Oh, no. He thinks he's won. No, no, no. No, it's one lap to go. It's one lap of racing to go. No, he hasn't heard it. There's one lap of racing to go. And he thinks he's won the world title. Click is sprinting flat out now. Now, I know what you're thinking. No, I've never done that before. However, I, it, it's funny when that happens, right? And the crazy thing is that he was in first place. He was going to win gold. And actually, in cycling, uh, the way that cycling works, he was super far ahead. The other person was not going to catch up to him. But because he thought that the finish line was earlier than it was, he got second. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> That's unfortunate. But isn't it funny how because he thought that the finish line was at the wrong spot, it cost him his race? Now, I want you to understand that you can do the same thing in life. You can do the same thing with your salvation. You can do the same thing with your faith walk. You can assume that things are finished. And unfortunately, when you make that assumption, it's not true. And then life hits like it always does. It will literally be like an uppercut. You didn't see it coming. You have no idea what to do, and it will knock you out. Because you thought that you were supposed to be done. And it turns out you still have more race to go. So if you want a title for the sermon, it's this. Right race, wrong line. You can be in the right race. You're all in the right race. But if you think the finish line's in the wrong spot, you're going to put yourself in a really annoying, bad, hurtful, painful position. And you could have just avoided it. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you want to know what the sermon is for, who it is for, it is for you who has received salvation, as in you realize that there is more to your life than just this, and that Jesus is your king and your savior, and you accepted him into your heart. And you did that, and you were excited, and you're like, yes! And you forgot there's more! There's something after salvation. And I don't want it to cost you the race. I don't want you to miss out on what you could really have, the joy that you could really have. So turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Now let me give some background. The church of Colossae was 
probably an outstanding church, an excellent one, one that you could strive to be like. They were sound in their faith and their doctrine, very passionate and had zeal, well-known and respected by the other churches. And Paul writes this letter, and he, he says something interesting. He's like, you're doing a great job. I understand that. You're doing great. But understand that you don't want to let teaching come in and sway you and lead you into temptation. You don't want it to put you on the wrong path. I understand that you're being successful, but you still have to have your guard up because if you don't, you can easily go down in the wrong way. And it continues in Colossians 2, 6 through 7. It says this, And now, just as you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. You know what? I think it's funny. It never says at one point that salvation is the end goal. It pre-assumes, presupposes that once you get saved, there's more work to be done. And if you miss that, if you miss the fact that there's more to this life than just being saved, It's like trying to fight a boxer with one arm tied behind your back. It's not really useful and doesn't really help you that much. Maybe you've felt this way in your spiritual life, but more or less likely you probably felt this way in your actual life. For example, what I don't want you to under—what I want you to understand—is that I don't want you to have this mentality where you can just turn off, you cross the finish line, you don't have to work anymore. Example: you get home from work. And you're like, you know what? I don't have to do any more work anymore. I'm done. I can just live the rest of the day. And you get home and your house is on fire. Your wife's a mess. Your kids are like screaming all over the place. Fellows, let me give you some advice from some past mistakes that I might have done or may not have done. We don't know. Uh, don't just ignore your wife there. Bad idea. Like if, if your wife's in trouble and you just worked a long day, help your wife. That's a good idea. Or maybe some of you thought, you know what? When I get married, I made it. End goal solved, complete, baby. And then you realize there's more work to be done. Turns out I'm kind of selfish. Got to work on that. But if you think that that's the end goal, if you think that's the finish, if you think that there's nothing else other than that, you're going to start getting into battles and wars that you were designed to fight with a full armament, that you were designed to fight with both your hands. But because you decided to let go, because you decided to hold back, because you decided, you know what, I'm done. I don't have to work anymore. You're fighting with only one arm. I don't want that to be you. I don't want that to be any of us. God has designed more for us than that. So my first point is this, and I want you to really take this to the point, okay? Salvation is the starting line, not the finish line. Now, we can say that, and that like, sounds pretty good. That's like a quote that you put on Twitter or something like that. But what I really want to hit on is this finish line mentality where we think that we're done, we've arrived, we've figured it all out, and we're good. And this comes in a few ways. And, and oftentimes we preach this in church like this, where salvation is not the end. It doesn't make everything better. Life is still hard. So don't think that just because you got saved, that don't think that just because you accepted Jesus into your heart and, you tried, and you're living for him now, that everything is going to be amazing and that you're going to frolic through the tulips and rainbows will come out of heaven and then people will give you pots of gold. Because I'm turning, it just turns out that that does not happen. No one's giving me a pot of gold. I'm still waiting for it. And I think that we've hit that pretty well as a church. I think that we've described that as a culture. I, I think that we understand that. But what I want to talk about, it, it, it's more subtle. It's, it, it goes like this. You started out with so much fire, 
with so much passion. I'm saved, yes! And then a couple months go by, or a year goes by, or a decade goes by, and you lose the same passion that you started off with. And you're wondering why, like, man, it's just a slog to get up in the morning. Do I have to pray every day? Do I have to, like, give thanks? And then unintentionally, you've made your finish line what you've done in the past, and you're missing out on everything else that's coming up ahead. And you've set yourself up for failure. Have you done that? Because just letting you know, done that a lot right here. It's really easy. And the side effect of that, the unintended side effect, is that your faith becomes half-hearted. Now, for you parents in here that have kids, you probably understand what doing things half-hearted looks like. It's usually kids pouting while they're doing chores. And I've never done that in my entire life, ever. I'm being really sarcastic about that because I do that all the time. (laughs) In fact, uh, one thing I really like to do is video games. I would love to play video games all the time. And I'd be playing video games, but my parents made a rule where I always had to do the dishes before I had to do video games, okay? But I tried to, like, sneak around it as much as I can. Like, I'll do, like, half the dishes and see if they notice. So one day, I did the very, very unwise decision of just not doing them at all and just going to play video games and seeing if they'll notice. Turns out they noticed. So they come to me, and they're like, hey, Drew, we've talked about this. You're supposed to do the dishes. Just do the dishes. They didn't whisper like this. I'm just doing this because it's fun. So they tell me to do the dishes, and and maybe your kid has done this before. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just the really weird, awkward kid, which is definitely possible. Uh, But I said, okay, fine. Dish, dish, clothes. You happy? And I go back to playing video games, and, and one, one day I did this, and they looked at me, and they said, all right, you're grounded. I'm like, but I did what you asked me to. I did the dishes. Why am I grounded? Like, it truly shocked me. And my mom looked at me, and she's like, no, 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 you don't get the point. It's not what you do. It's why you're doing it. It's the energy that you're doing it with. You see, son, if you played video games with that much energy, if you transferred that to doing your dishes— will be done easier, faster, and better than you would have ever done before. But because you're doing it half-heartedly, because you're trying to just hold that, getting the bare minimum done, it's actually not done. And now you must suffer. So I was grounded. <laughs> How many of you have become half-hearted in your faith? You may have been like the cyclist, where you thought you were at the end, and you're like, I'm excited, I'm done. There's more. Is this it? Is this everything? I thought I was done when I got saved and I found a church and I started going twice a week. And you've unintentionally, because you made your finish line your past or your salvation, everything ahead of you now feels like a massive storm and you're not prepared. I just want to let you know, God did not design you for that. God has given you everything you need, but can you be faithful in the now? And if you don't do that, if you live your life, if you live your faith half-heartedly, what you'll find is that you're getting limited results. Let me give you a quick example, okay? This is called an iPhone, and I like iPhones. And if you don't like iPhones, we'll pray for you afterwards, and I will lay hands on you. Uh... Don't worry, you can still come here. Uh, 
that was probably a bad joke. Uh, <laughs> so iPhones are pretty incredible. And I, I like photography. I do photography uh, for some of my friends and for some of the students that are becoming seniors. So what's crazy is I don't need a, a laptop to do my photography work. In fact, here's how crazy this is. When I take a photo with an app on here, I can transfer that photo to my phone. And then with another app on here, I can edit the photo entirely with my phone. And then once I'm done with that, I can upload that photo with my phone to a cloud system where then I can send a link with my phone to someone else and then they can download all their photos that they got because it was on my phone. And then I have four social media profiles because I need to know what I need to know. And I can upload that photo to all four of those social media files literally with the same phone. I can do phone calls, text, I can stream movies, I can watch YouTube, I can do everything. This is incredible. Like this is a little slice of heaven right here. And I have some friends and maybe you're like them and look, I'm not judging you, I just think it's a little bit weird. Uh, maybe you just use it for phone calls. That's okay. Like, we can still be friends. But do you understand that, like, you're limiting what you could do with this? Th this is so much more powerful than just a phone call machine. If you want a phone call machine, get a dumb phone. But this is a smartphone. This can do so much. This can file your taxes if you really want to. It can do everything. But because you're limiting it only to a cell phone to make phone calls, you're missing out on everything that it could possibly do. And in the same way, if you live your faith half-heartedly, if you give God the bare minimum, you can make some phone calls. But you're missing out on the point. There's so much more. What am I trying to say? Wait, this could be a pun. Don't phone it in. There's more to your faith than just doing it the bare minimum. There is more to your life than just being saved. There is an extra race to run. There are more laps to finish. And if you just relegate your life to making a phone call, you're going to be missing out on the power, the grace, the peace, the joy that you really get. There's so much more. Have you been limiting yourself? Have you been limiting what God can do in your life because you have your faith half-hearted? Look, the yes that you gave to God at salvation is amazing. Like, the excitement is great. What we want to do, though, is continue that excitement, not just from salvation, but onwards to every other aspect of our life. And I'm just letting you know, that's really hard because life is sometimes really annoying. But when we continue with that energy, that passion, that zeal, man, thank you, God, I just woke up. I'm so happy that I just woke up. But you just woke up. I'm just so happy that I'm alive. When you continue that there, then you'll notice that the things that used to bother you, the things that used to really stumble you, they just don't seem like as much of a problem anymore. It's not because that they aren't. It's because you realize how good God is in your life. But that comes with living your faith full out, full passion. I'm just going to let you know, that's really hard for me to do. It's really hard for me to be consistently like that. And it's sometimes annoying because life does get hard. Life gets annoying. And life's not always fun. But I want you to understand this. It's my second point. And, and we can say this point, and then we can understand this point. And I, I want you to understand, this is an incredibly hard point for me to fully grasp and get, and I'm still learning this, okay? It's this. Slow growth is still growth. Unseen growth is still growth. Painful growth is still growth. It's still growth. 
And why do we say it like that? Because it sometimes feels like it's not. It feels like a journey, a slog, a fight. But it's still growth. If you notice in verse 7, it says, let your, roots, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Now, I'm going to go a little bit botanist on you guys, so hold on one second. But trees have seeds. The seed falls into the ground, then it's crushed by the earth. And then it's germinated, and then rain comes on it. But before it ever grows up, it grows roots. Every time. Trees that try to go up first before going down always fall and fail. Every time. And here's the best part about that, okay? That does not happen in 24 hours. In fact, I learned this the hard way when I planted a seed once in my backyard, and it turns out the tree doesn't grow in a day. Like, it takes a long time. But sooner or later, show that next photo. Trees can do this. They can absolutely destroy cement. A little seed got in between the ground, and because it had the right, the right soil, because it was being filled in the right places, and because it had time, it broke through pure cement. And cement's really hard, and I cannot break through that with my bare hands. So the fact that a root can do that and a tree can do that is a pretty crazy thing. Like, they're strong, but that did not happen in a day. That did not happen immediately. Roots take time. I want you to understand that you may have been saved and you felt so good. And if you don't realize that there is time that takes for you to experience the true goodness and everything that he has for you, you're going to get burned out and think that you crossed the finish line when in fact there's still a lot to go. Matthew 13 has a parable about this. It's Jesus telling us there's four seeds. One seed falls onto the ground and it's uh, eaten up by birds. One seed falls into really rough, unkept soil, and it grows really fast but then dies. The third seed falls into decent soil, but it's surrounded by thorns, so it grows up and it's choked out by thorns. And the fourth seed falls on fertile ground, plowed very well, and it grows into a great harvest. Now, that's kind of cool, and then Jesus explains this, and this is the important part, okay? The, The seed is not you. It's the word of God in your life. And when it comes to you, there's a few responses. One of them is to disregard it, and it's eaten up. The second one is to grow fast but not grow deep in roots, and it's killed. The third one is to grow, but because it's so choked out by the anxieties of life, it kills it. And it's only the fourth one that grows first down is able to grow up into a harvest. And what you understand, in this parable, Jesus never mentions time. He never says, after five years, then it will grow. Never says that once. You can look back at it. In fact, it's also almost interesting that the, the plant that grew fastest was actually the second one, but it died. I understand that you want to do great things for God. You want to grow up in God's faith. But if you don't grow down first and be rooted in him, it never ends well. How can you grow your roots in God? Enthusiasm of just following him and accepting what he has for you. God asks you something, yes. God asks you something, yes, I'm going to do it. It's not comfortable. It doesn't always feel good. It doesn't match with the, with the way life can be. But when you say yes to God now, there will always be a response in your life later. It just won't always happen when you expect it. I'm just going to let you know that's really hard and convicting for me to go through. 
Because there's times where I want God to say yes and to answer it now. And he almost never does that. But every time I have to wait, it's always better. There's a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he was a Christian in the 30s and 40s in Nazi Germany. Incredible guy. He was a part of a family that had uh, scientists, doctors, genius. He decided to be a preacher. And one of his main goals in World War II was he was transporting Jews out of Germany so they wouldn't be sent to the concentration camps to be killed. He was caught. He was sent to Auschwitz. And he died a month before Germany was defeated. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems like his life was cut off too fast. Like, he's doing the good thing. He's, he's fighting the right fight, and, well, that, that just happened. Like, why was that? But listen to this quote. This quote convicts me so hard because I can see where, I'm, where I have issues in this. The blessedness of, la- of waiting is lost on those who cannot wait, and the fulfillment of promise is never theirs. They want quick answers to the deepest questions of life and miss the value of those times of anxious waiting, seeking with patient uncertainties until the answers come. They lose the moment when the answers are revealed in dazzling clarity. I cannot tell you how much it hurts the fact that he says there's value in anxious waiting because it doesn't feel like it. And I don't want value in anxious waiting. I want things to be comfortable and safe. But there's always something good that's going to come out of it. Can you just wait on him? Can you wait on God? Can you let your roots grow into him? How about like this? Let's, let's say like this. Will you be patient and consistent while your roots grow in secret to yourself and the world? I'm just going to let you know, I want to say yes, but many times I've said no to that. Where I want quick answers right now, and God in his greatness, in his goodness, wants me to be consistent first because it's for my good. To grow roots down first before there's any success. One of the prayers that one of my mentors taught me and scares me to this day that I'll, I'll try to pray, but I'm still scared about it. It's, Lord, please don't raise me up to a platform I'm not ready. I'm going to let you know when you pray that prayer, he'll answer that prayer. And it's really humbling and convicting, but it is one of the best prayers that you can do because you're doing it on his timeline, not yours. Look, this is hard for me to go through and to, to explain this, but there's so much joy in waiting on God and sinking your roots in him. Please understand, slow growth is still growth. Slow growth is still growth. Before I uh, was a youth pastor here, um, I was an intern at another church uh, for the youth group. And I also uh, helped at the youth group two years beforehand. So I, I was there for four years, and one of the things that I did was I was a drama coach. And they had this competition uh, in this uh, denomination where all the churches in all of Florida would come together in this competition, and we'd compete. And it was honestly one of the best things ever because we would get people from our schools and say, hey, we have this competition. You need to be a part of it. You'd be great. And then they come in, and they get saved and get plugged into small groups. And it was absolutely amazing. And so for about five years— I uh, coached uh, a few teams, and they were absolutely amazing. They were incredible. They won some awards. They were absolutely amazing. And the third year, there's a student that walked in the back of practice the very first day, and she 
looked at me, had her hands like this and her head down, and, you know, like had that face of like, please don't talk to me or else I'm going to punch you in the throat. Like, like one of those faces. And her name was Amber. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a hard egg to crack. She won't want to talk to anyone. We, second week goes by, third week goes by, fourth week goes by, and she starts getting involved. She starts getting real friends. And near the end of the season, she pulls me aside and says, hey, I just want to let you know, I was contemplating suicide literally the day that you told me that you want me to do this. And I didn't want to come, but you forced me to come, and it was one of the best decisions that you've ever done because I'm here today. I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, God can use anything. And for the first time in her life, she really started to understand who Jesus was for her. She started to grow roots deep into him. The next year, she contracted Hodgkin's lymphoma. And an incredible person who could have easily gone to any school and won scholarships for the amazing way that she dances. She was an incredible hip-hop dancer. And to see her lose everything that she cared about, her physical ability, her way to dance, her passion for dancing, to see her lose everything, including her hair. It's a pain that I've seen very few times. And there's one time where she's going for her first round of chemo, and I decided, you know what, me and a few of the students were going to come in and see her at the hospital. And, you know, she was questioning, you know, it's hard. But I could see that because she planted roots the year before, she was able to get through it. Look, she may have been a great dancer, but dancing doesn't help you with cancer. Like, you may be great at your job, but when the storms of life come, and they really come, it doesn't necessarily help. The only thing that can get you through the storms of life are roots. But the issue that we have, the issue that I have, is that I want roots when the storm comes, but they're never built there. They're always built years before with consistency. Consistent waiting on God. Consistent faith. And I cannot tell you how hard that is for me to hear, because I don't want it like that but that's how God works. And it was because of her consistent faith that she's here today. She's serving God now. She's about to get married in a year. What can you do when you're consistent when no one else will be? I understand that life can be hard, but there is so much more to your story. And if you just leave it right there, if you don't do anything else, you're going to be missing out on some of the true joys and blessings. There's more to your story. Band, if you can come on up. Look, roots grow before a storm, and sometimes, sooner or later, the storm will hit, but that's the hard part. There's always a joy after this. And I want you to listen to the, the ending of verse 7. So verse 7 starts off with grow your roots deep. And we talked about what that actually means. But then it goes with this. It, it has a, a clause with that, a, with that contract right there. It says this. Then your faith will grow strong in your truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. So I want you to not miss this. This is the most important part. I understand that life can be hard. But the third point is this. Victory will come. It always will. It will not leave you. God is so good, he does not break his promises. And he's promised that you will have victory. Just understand that it might not come in the time that you want it. How about this? 2 Peter 3.8 says it like this. And this has been one of the most convicting verses that I've been reading lately. 
I want you to, to listen to this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Listen to this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And there's two parts of that verse. The first part is that the Lord is slow for your good, which is super hard and convicting for me to hear. And we, we already talked about that, but the, the final part is that he still comes through with his promises. It still works out. It still comes to fruition. You will succeed. Grow your roots in him. This is not the end of your story. There is more to your life than what you're going through right now. I understand that maybe some of you, you're just going to your job, going home, going to eat, and then going to bed. You're doing that constantly every single day, and you're wondering, is there more to my life? Let me tell you this. There is more to your life. The victory will come. Be consistent now. That's where it starts. Maybe you're like me, and you're like, man, I hear that, and I, I, I believe and, and, and I don't believe. I, I, I don't know. I want you to understand that there's a story that Jesus tells about a man named uh, Jairus. And his daughter is dealing with, uh, she's demon possessed. And he goes up to Jesus and says, please come to my house and heal her. And Jesus says something interesting. Jesus says, well, do you not believe? Like, I can heal her right now if I just speak a word. Do you not believe that? And his answer is how I feel oftentimes and, and is why I want you to understand. He says this, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Look, I, I, I understand, God, that you're going to work through. I just don't know how yet. I understand that you're going to provide financially. I just don't know how yet. I know you're going to work things out. I just don't know how yet. And I want you to understand, that's an okay place to be. Grow your roots in him. Be consistent in your questions. Be consistent in your waiting period. And when you do, the victory will come. There will be success. There always will be. So can you be consistent now? Can you grow your roots in him? When the storm comes, will you have your roots or will you not? Let's pray. Dear God, I... um, I just pray that you use us. I know this is really hard for for me to talk out because this is, I think, something that I'm still kind of processing and working through in my head, and it's not an easy thing. This isn't always the easiest thing to walk in relationship with you, but Lord, I, I pray that you just use us in this moment, that you give us peace. There is more to our life than just being saved. And I, Lord, I pray that we just understand that well. And that when we leave here today, that we keep that understanding. And that no matter what comes in our life, we choose Jesus. No matter what goes in our way, we choose to be consistent. Amen.